This message is a recording from Kaleo Phoenix, a church plant in downtown Phoenix that creates space to practice the ways of Jesus together as the multi-ethnic family of God. Evening, Kaleo. Good to see you all again. As Aaron mentioned, my name is Chris, so glad to be here, glad to be with you as we create space again to practice the ways of Jesus as the multi-ethnic family of God. We're going to start in an interesting place uh, this evening, so be prepared, okay? It's not super scary, uh, but it's a little different because I'm going to ask you to uh, participate, but only via writing, and then if you want to share that later, you can, okay? So he, here's, here's where I'm headed. You'll get a little glimpse of what I'm doing. Um, there's cards in the back there, Kaleo cards, that are for a thousand different things, but we have like so many of them, we might as well write on them today, okay? So you can grab one of those cards. There's pencils uh, about... You may have to go a row or two in front of you or beside you or whatever to, to find a, a writing utensil. But if you can find one of those, that would be good. Okay, so let me, let me set this up a little bit. We're, we're in the midst of making our way through uh, a series of sermons, I suppose, that we, we would call The Violence of Love. And it's based off of this quote from Oscar Romero. And so we've been taking excerpts from sermons that Oscar Romero preached, and that was a while back. So that was the late 70s and early 80s. He was the archbishop of the church in El Salvador. And then we take the passage he preached from and put it side by side, and we say, okay, he's preaching to the poor and the oppressed of El Salvador. Here's what he has to say. Here's the passage that he was gleaning that from or interpreting that from. And we're saying, how does that help us then as Kaleo live as Jesus followers today? Or based on what we're gonna talk about this evening, what, what is this gospel of good news that we're finding in these passages from Romero and the passages from scripture that he preached from? So here's the question I wanna pose, okay? If I tasked you with, in a, in a few words, you know, like maybe a few key words or maybe a few sentences, if you're really into writing, what is the gospel? What would you write down? What is the gospel? Okay. So take a few, take a few minutes. Like I'm going to give you some time. You can think about it or we're not in a rush here. I don't have like tons more to say. Um, but if, if you were tasked with defining the gospel, so I just said, what is the gospel? How would you define it? Write that on that little card. Uh, take a few minutes, that sort of thing. Oh, hold on. Also, just to like free you as well, any of you who have, you know, PTSD from school or whatever, like I'm not looking for a quote unquote right answer. All right, you, that's what I think we're gonna find in the midst of all of this, is that there's maybe less of a right answer than we even thought. So be free, just write down how you might define it today. Okay, all right, back to work. Okay, here's, here's my request now. And you can, you can say no to this, uh, but I would love it if you would put that in here so you don't have to share it. And then I'll read a few of them. I won't say anybody's name if you wrote your name on it, because there's a name spot on there, so it's kind of like hard to not write your name. Uh, but if you want to share it, I won't say like, this is what anybody said. I won't be going like, this is better than this one. But I think we'll get a picture of actually this challenge that we have of defining what the gospel really is. 
Okay? So if you want to, throw them in there. Anybody? Throw them in there. You're such a dork. It's going to probably sound weird. I'm going to. Okay, thanks for playing. Oh, we got another one. Okay, this'll, this, if anything, this will just give us a good uh, feel for where I want to go with all of this, okay? So, since you all like, okay. Remember, we're, we're answering the question, what is the gospel? Which I didn't do any clarifying before I asked that question. So we're just going with whatever we would say. Okay, what is the gospel? The good news, I am known, I am loved, I have a purpose. What is the gospel? Love, humility, being and using our voices for justice and equity, the gospel is good. It's the good news. That's, like, that's actually like a literal definition. So that's very, very solid, whoever, whoever contributed that. The ways of Jesus and love brought to humanity and those oppressed. Christ. The word, question mark. The word? No, I think that's how I have to say it. The gospel is good news that God is with us, causing restoration, reconciliation, and forgiveness. And there's like some really cool arrows connecting those things. The gospel is the story of God and his people. The gospel is love them hard, I think. It is the good message and of God that you're loved and can live in freedom because of Jesus. Jesus and anything to do with him. The gospel is stories about Jesus and what he did here on earth. It is also meant to be a guide as to how to live like Jesus. All right, that's our list, which was great, actually. Totally was what I was looking for. Because isn't that wild? Not a single one of us wrote down the same thing. Similar ideas, similar concepts, similar vision, right, that sort of thing. But it wasn't like... We all know there's this one thing that you say means the gospel. And so we're going to hold that all before us. And we're going to see how the ministry of Oscar Romero and the preaching of Jesus help illuminate the good news of Jesus or the gospel of Jesus, as we now know that that is the definition of gospel. Okay, you ready for this? All right, let's pray, and then we'll figure out if we can sort any of this out. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, again, we, we trust you. We trust you to have your way with us, to teach us, to illuminate for us who you are and what you're like. 
Would you help us wrestle out what it means to, to follow you, to, to live out the gospel, even if you will, Lord? But would you give us something tangible, uh, even as we think about how the gospel impacts our life? I pray that you would help us meet you in the midst of this. And I pray that you'd give me your words to speak as well, words that are for you and from you, God, that make much of you. We love you, and it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Okay, so Oscar Romero, he was nearing the surprise ending of his life and to continuously work to bring us up to speed. Oscar Romero became the archbishop of the church in El Salvador, and it was in the midst of like a country, countrywide crisis of the government and even religious institutions oppressing the majority of the Salvadorians. And so they chose Oscar Romero to be the archbishop to kind of run the church of the country, if you will. It was a Catholic uh, country specifically, I guess, at the time as well. And they, they thought he would kind of like toe the line, would never really commit to anything and kind of like continue along in his comfortable life. And he had a whole conversion as he encountered the needs of the people. And so his life began to change. And so he nears the end of his life in this sermon that I'm going to quote from, but the end of his life came while he was standing before his people preaching mass and he was shot and killed. So it was a surprise ending in the way in which he died. So here's what he says. This is just months before his death. He says, I do not tire of telling everyone, especially young people who long for their people's liberation, that I admire their social and political sensitivity, but it saddens me when they waste it by going by ways that are false. The church is telling them, this is the way, Christ's way. Put all your determination, all your self-giving, all your self-sacrifice, even to giving your lives to the cause of true liberation guaranteed by the one on whom God's spirit is poured out. He will not show us false ways. And he will make his own the people's desire for liberation and justice. The desire cries out to God, and God must hear that cry. And he finishes by this. He says, let us all, too, take notice that the great leader of our liberation is the Lord's anointed one, who comes to announce good news to the poor, to give freedom to the captive, to give news of the missing, to give joy to so many homes in mourning so that society may be renewed as in the sabbatical years of Israel. What is the gospel then? What is the good news? Right, as he's speaking so specifically to a people in desperate need to be set free. And there are people in the church going about it, and what he says is Christ's way. And there are people within the country who are going about it, which he says isn't quite Christ's way. It's a bit of a false way, but he admires what they're up to. So he's even naming this tension of how do we achieve liberation as Jesus announces it. And so as I've been thinking about this idea, obviously, to pose the question even of what is the gospel, uh, just I'm going to talk about it in a minute, but I also I posed it to the social media world as well and also got an array of answers, which was quite interesting. But I keep thinking about this, this gospel that we name as followers of Jesus maybe doesn't always mean what we think it means. Or we don't know what other people think it means. And so we use it in this way that, that sometimes maybe doesn't align with what God's up to in the world. And so this isn't a, a critique on everybody's definition of gospel. Instead, 
I want to use one of my favorite metaphors, and it's how the, the scriptures, or in this case, the gospel, is like this multifaceted jewel. So like imagine this, this big jewel, this diamond, and all of the, the edges of this diamond, and, and every time you spin it, and look at it from other angles. It shines its light in different places, right? And so I'm, I'm trying to think about then how the gospel is like this multifaceted jewel, right? That it, it holds all of these in it, everything that we said, right? These things that are written here, none of them are not the gospel, but they're part of the most multifaceted jewel that is the gospel, that every time the way you look at what Jesus was up to in the world shines its light somewhere else so that you might see what was dark and is coming to light. And so since that's one of my favorite metaphors, I'm going to put that into this context of how Romero was using this passage that I think names the gospel so clearly, and we often overlook it. So the passage he was preaching from on this day was Luke 4, 16 through 24, whatever he makes it to in that sermon, okay? So I'm going to read to you from Luke 4, beginning in verse 16. It goes like this. When he came to the village of Nazareth, that's Jesus, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah, the prophet, was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. Here's what he reads. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. So just pause for a second, because it's maybe something you've heard, right? It's maybe like, okay, more Bible, just imagine you're there for a second, all right? And Jesus comes back home. There's a little bit word that he's up to something different than he was at like 29, that he is at 30, right? They're catching wind of the things that he might be up to because in Luke's gospel at this point in time, he's been baptized, he's been doing some healing, he's been interacting with people in need, right? He's up to that and then he makes his way home. And they hand him the scroll. And however the mystery of the divine would have it on that particular day. That's what he's reading from in Isaiah, right? It's like some crazy scroll, and they're like, there. There's no verse numbers. There's no chapter numbers. This is what he has before him, and he reads these words. They've known Jesus since he was young. They've watched him grow up, wander around the neighborhood, help his father build stuff, and he reads this. And it says in verse 20, he rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Everyone spoke well of him and was amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. How can this be, they asked. Isn't this Joseph's son? They have this reaction that is like, this is really good news, if you will. How could this actually happen? That Jesus would show up and read these words of the ancient prophet Isaiah and say, this is what he's come to do, that the Spirit has anointed him to do these very things. They're like, wow. Whoa. 
This guy, he's a scholar, his name's Roger Strongstad, and he gives this succinct summary that I think helps us think a little bit about what's going on here. Here's what he writes. He says, talking about Jesus, as his subsequent mystery, ministry will show, this is to be a ministry. This is the good news that Jesus came to bring. This is to be a ministry of the Lord's gracious favor to God's people, whether they are economically or spiritually destitute, whether they are socially or spiritually disenfranchised, whether they are in physical or spiritual bondage, or whether they are physically or spiritually blind. It's this whole vision that Jesus will actually go and embody everywhere he walks. This, Jesus claims, is the gospel that the Spirit has anointed him to bring. He says, this is the good news. And they're all kind of like, yeah, it is. Good, good call, Jesus. And initially, it seems, right, they're in awe, they're amazed. And it should end as like this happy homecoming, right? We're behind our, our new leader, whatever the heck they would have said about Jesus being stopped there. But here's what happens. Jesus is like, I'm not sure you understand this good news that I'm talking about. I'm not sure you understand this gospel yet. And so he uses two stories that are familiar to all of the people who are sitting there. And here's how that unfolds, beginning in verse 23. Then he said, Jesus said, you will undoubtedly quote me this proverb, physician, heal yourself, meaning do miracles here in your hometown like those you did in Capernaum. So he's already been doing them and they're like onto it. And they're like, let's go. He says, but I tell you the truth. No prophet is accepted in his hometown. Certainly, he goes on, now he's into his stories. There were many needy widows in Israel in Elijah's time. When the heavens were closed for three and a half years and a severe famine de devastated the land. He says, yet Elijah was not sent to any of them. He was instead sent to a foreigner, a widow of Zarephath in the land of Sidon. Story number one. It's kind of underwhelming for us, but for them it would have been a big deal. Second one, verse 27, and many in Israel had leprosy in the time of the prophet Elisha, right? So we've got Elijah and Elisha, right? The key prophets. He already read from the prophet Isaiah. He says, and then there was leprosy in the time of Elisha, but the only one healed was Naaman, a Syrian, not just an outsider, right? But like the head of an army. And soon as he said, a Syrian, Verse 28, when they heard this, the people in the synagogue were furious. Jumping up, they mobbed him and forced him to the edge of the hill in which the town was built. They intended to push him over the cliff. What, like, hold on. That escalated quickly, didn't it? Because when you separate it like that, then you go, this is the good news of Jesus. He says, I've been anointed to bring good news to the poor sight to the blind, to heal the sick, to set the oppressed free. This is what the Lord's favor looks like. And they're all like, yeah. And then he says, kind of like those two times when the good news went out to those who are not at all like us, to those who are other than us. And the gospel got really big and all the people said, nah, to the cliff. 
to push him off. The image that I think is helpful and challenging at the same time to like try to position this in present day America or even just the lives we know. If you remember back in 2018, uh, there were people in Charlottesville, right? And the whole thing went down in Charlottesville and there were white supremacists there carrying torches, tiki torches, chanting, you will not replace us, right? That was at the heart of their chant. I think there's some of that fervor inside of their reaction to Jesus when Jesus says this gospel is to expand beyond what you could even imagine to the people you didn't even know God had set out to claim. And they're like, no, that will not do here, Jesus. They literally were about to push off a cliff to die. This boy who had come home to tell them the good news. And then it ends in verse 30 that he passed right through the crowd and went on his way, which we, we kind of know because we knew that wasn't when went down for Jesus. Luke 4 would have been a really terrible place for Jesus to die. So Oscar Romero, hold on, actually, let me, before I tell you about Oscar Romero, that's a lot, right? There's a lot going on there. And it's all centered on Jesus. I mean, it's called the gospel of Luke, right? Luke is writing about the good news as he sees it. And what he sees as the good news is that the spirit of God, who is like central to the way in which Luke talks all the way through the book of Acts too, right? Well, that's where Pentecost unfolds and all that goes down. He's a big Holy Spirit guy, Luke is. And he says the whole gospel that he sees, the good news that he's writing about is that that spirit anointed Jesus to bring this good news that he's articulating. And then some. So Oscar Romero is preaching from this text. He's preaching to a group of people that are experiencing poverty, sickness, oppression. And that quote that I gave you, he names that there would be hope for the missing, right? A lot of people had been abducted and kidnapped within their communities during that time. They were trying to get Romero and the church to be silent. And so here's what he says, again, just months before he was murdered. He says, I repeat what I told you once before when we feared we might be left without a radio station, which just to insert for a moment, the radio station bit was that all of his sermons, because he was the archbishop of El Salvador, were radio blasted across the country. So not only were those he was trying to teach and inspire listening, but those who were enemies against this way were also listening too. And so they were always trying to cut out the station so that people wouldn't hear it. And he says, I told you this, God's best microphone is Christ. And Christ's best microphone is the church. And the church is all of you. Let each one of you in your own job, in your own vocation, nun, married person, single, bishop, priest, high school or university student, day laborer, wage earner, market woman, each one of you in your place live the faith intensely and feel that in your surroundings, you are a true microphone of God, our Lord. Pretty cool, right? Again, you're kind of like, yeah, right? But there's this thing that Romero's following in this thread that began with Isaiah and then Elijah and Elisha and now Jesus, right? All along the way, what happens to the prophets? Any guesses? 
they die. The ones carrying this good news, this gospel, they die. They end up on the edge of a cliff. They get shot in the middle of mass. They end up on a cross. They get hung upside down. All kinds of stuff happens to the prophets. And so in the second half of Jesus' homecoming homily, what he does is he aligns himself with the prophets. Here's how Strongstad says this again, to give us this whole glimpse of the way in which Jesus lived. He says, Jesus' twofold claim to be the prophet like Isaiah and the prophet like Elijah and Elisha was more than his townspeople could accept. Therefore, from the outset of his ministry, Jesus is also the rejected prophet. Keep that image in your head for a moment. Rejecting his claims to be a prophet, his townspeople immediately attempt to put him to death, which of course is a punishment reserved for false prophets. Jesus will carry his inauguration day rejection with him throughout his ministry. For example, in response to Peter's confession that Jesus is the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ, right? Jesus immediately prophesies about his future rejection and death. In Luke 9. Later, while en route to Jerusalem, he again prophesies that he will die there as a rejected prophet, Luke 13. Thus, it does not surprise Luke's readership that the arresting soldiers mock Jesus as a prophet when they get him, Luke 22. What'll happen to the rejected prophets? I think there's something about the good news that is actually so against the general idea of a culture that says, like, let's just keep ourselves insulated, let's keep ourselves safe, let's stand up a certain part of our culture, a certain group of people, right, the way in which those townspeople might have done, that causes those who say, this good news that Jesus is bringing actually extends even farther than you thought. Not just to, which is crazy to say, not just to, not just good news to the poor, not just good news to the oppressed, not just good news to the blind, not just good news to the captive, but good news to those who are also experiencing that out there, over there, in that group of people. The whole of the goodness that Jesus is proclaiming is like, so vast and expansive, it's really hard to take in. Which is why the answer to the question, what is the gospel, is really hard to define. And I think we do a disservice when we do just try to do the exercise that I just did and don't keep spinning the jewel to say, but look here and look here and look here. I think some of what Kaleo exists to do is to specifically shine that gospel jewel into a place in our current society where all of us live and walk around and do life that hasn't maybe been illuminated at times by the people of God. We're trying to look through the jewel lens that illuminates this place where there are, in fact, people who are poor, oppressed, blind, sick, captive, left out, pushed out, alone. That's a, a way in which we're trying to illuminate the gospel. That means our gospel is not right. 
and the only one. And it doesn't mean that other ways in which you spin the jewel don't also help us amplify the gospel. But it says, for us, we want to be really attentive to the way in which Jesus announced this version of the gospel. And so all of that is why earlier this week I posed to a plethora of social media uh, follower, friend types, what is the gospel? And unsurprisingly, I received a wide array of responses. Ours, to be honest, were a little bit more aligned uh, than, than my social media sphere. But there, there's a wide array of ways that people responded to that question. And all of it reminded me that the gospel is like the jewel we hold to the light and see where the good news for here and now might shine. And I think sometimes that's what we miss when we try to define the gospel too rightly, is we're not asking the question, where does the good news shine here and now? Like, what is it that here and now is needed that this might be good news that Jesus has come to do? That Jesus has already done, that Jesus has completed with his death on the cross, defeating death and sin, the very powers that we're up against, and saying in his resurrected self, now follow me in this way, because it's already been defeated. We just get about the work, doing it, joining, walking together as a people. And so, I guess it's my belief, or maybe our belief, if you want to jump in for the day, that often the theology maybe we've been given loses sight of the good news Jesus preached and how that that was inspiring Romero even in a way to ask, what is the gospel of good news we need today? And then we get to spin collectively the jewel and shine that into the places in need. And that's why Romero preached his Jesus-inspired gospel the way he did. He kept asking, what is the gospel of good news we need today? Where is it going to shine in the here and now? And so as a collective of people gathered here today, small but mighty, we get to pose the question, where are you going to go with Jesus? Where there's a need for some good news today. Obviously, there's some tangible ways as well. We talk about them often, right? Aaron didn't begin without even giving you some very tangible ways to engage in enacting good news in the here and now. Follow Corazon, see what they're up to. Aaron will continue to give us updates uh, from that as well. Jump in our book club that's starting in, I don't know, two weeks? Yeah, two weeks. Come to our family meeting that we're having uh, here on Saturday at 10.30 a.m. where we get to collectively keep saying, what is this that we're up to in the world? And then you get what Romero said, which I'll just read us one last time. God's best microphone is Christ. And Christ's best microphone is the church, and the church is all of you. Let each one of you in your own job, in your own vocation, nun, married person, single, bishop, priest, high school or university student, day laborer, wage earner, market woman, the list goes on. Each one of you in your place live the faith intensely and feel that in your surroundings you are a true microphone of God our Lord, shining the gospel of good news into each place that needs it. 
So may that be true of us, Kaleo. And as that lingers, as often I want to do, I want to give the Spirit of Jesus one last chance to say whatever he might want to say to all of you. So as our band comes up, would you just sit in a posture of stillness? And would you ask Jesus, in light of all of that, Jesus, what do you want me to know? What do you want me to do? And let him communicate that to you. And then I'll pray us out and we'll sing one more song. voices to you. We lift our lives to you. We ask that you would, one, reveal your good news to us. Would you remind us that in all of this conversation about the gospel, that you are a God who loves us and that's so shown to us, embodied in the person of Jesus who walked on this earth, showing us the way to live, what, what love looks like fleshed out. Would we see that Jesus on the cross is this ultimate example where Jesus would rather love than kill his enemies? His arms are spread wide and that's subversive and throws us off as well. Let us be reminded that the same Jesus then defeated death and raised to new life. Because Jesus was raised to life, we are gifted his spirit and that spirit of God is present in all who follow Jesus. We do not need to try to do this on our own power, but help us to remember the Spirit of God is with us so that we might walk in the ways of Jesus, embodying the love of God. May it be so. Amen. If this message encouraged you, let us know or share it with someone you know. For more information about Kaleo, Visit KaleoPHX.com or follow us on social media at KaleoPHX.